Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. As Dave comes this morning, we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 4, and so please turn in your Bibles there. But uh, I get the privilege of leading us in our scripture memory verse, Hebrews 10, 35, and 36. As we um, prepare to read this out loud together and try to get it back in our brains, um, why Hebrews? You might be wondering, why why Hebrews? Uh, Because we tend to get... uh, weary in our walk with Jesus. You ever noticed that? Um, you know, we, uh, we start off with fire, start off with excitement. And the promises, I've seen this happen so often to people that I love in, to, in ministry. I, we start off with all these promises and we're excited about our walk with Jesus and we're excited about church and we're excited about the word of God and you know we just and I've even seen new Christians who get all their prayers answered where like they're just amazed and I I love it I love it I love it I love it you know they come like oh I prayed for whatever and it it came wow God's so amazing and they're just so blown away and then there's that honeymoon period and it's just so good And then something happens. It just sort of starts to cool down. Maybe a prayer doesn't get answered like you hoped it would. Or somebody at church offends you. And you realize these people stink like I do. huh? (laughs) And you think, oh, it's not as exciting as it used to be. And then maybe the pastor says something that offends you. And, and, and then you stop, you know, you're like, I, I just can't, I can't learn from that guy. I mean, I, I'm just not, well, the word that we do, is, the word, what we love to say is, I'm just not being fed anymore there. That's, that's the word that we use. And we just start to cool down. And what started off as this hot fire kind of dwindles and becomes a little flicker and we cool down. And last week, Dave talked about unbelief, and I loved that. I think one of the points he made there was really good that, you know, I love the fact that it's not how we start the Christian journey, but how we finish it that matters. And, you know, we can start off like Israel in this glorious flame of fire and passion, but if I tank out at the finish line, like, that's not good. And, and believing is not a decision that I made once 20 years ago, but believing is a decision I make today. I wake up today. Today, Lord, I am yours. Today, I'm yours. Today, I'm yours, and you are mine today. And it's a daily walk with Jesus. See? But then there's this cooling down thing that we also have to deal with as followers of Jesus. And I guess I want you to hear this this morning. That if you're in that place right now, you're normal. Please hear that. You're normal. You've probably heard people say that, oh, if you're cooled down, that must mean you're in some dark sin. And, you know, it could mean that. I'm not denying that possibility. That's, that could be possible. But for many people, what I see is 
as a pastor, it's just a normal part of the process. And the question that you have to ask in this place, in this cooled down place, the question you have to ask is, um, am I following Jesus for the benefits or am I following Jesus for Jesus? And the writer of Hebrews is all about Jesus, isn't he? The, the pastor of Hebrews. He's like, man, God used to speak this way, Hebrews chapter 1. God used to speak this way, but now he speaks through his son. And we learn that in Hebrews 1. And, and the son is awesome. He's better than, I mean, angels are cool, but how many of you know Jesus is way cooler? That's, that's Hebrews chapter 1. And, and the ancient Jews, we learned, like they believed that the angels, that the word of God was actually delivered to Moses through angels. That's what they believed. And so the pastor of Hebrews, he's a Jewish guy, he makes this point, hey, if, if the word of God delivered through angels was cool and it was binding, how much more binding is the word of God if it's coming through the actual son of God? And that's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. And then... And then Hebrews chapter 2, he wants you to know, you got to know something about this son, about this Jesus that you follow. This Jesus you follow, he's not just in an ivory tower, way off there somewhere, distanced from your life, but he actually has flesh and blood like you do. He became your brother. You are his sister. You're his little sister. You're little, his little brother. And, and he walks with you. He understands. He knows. He suffered temptation. Jesus didn't just sail through temptation. This is Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus didn't just sail through it like, hey, I'm God. Woo, this is easy. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus actually knows what it is to, to actually face temptation. He knows what it is to sit there with that decision and go, oh, I want to. I don't. Oh, I want. I don't. I do. I don't. I do. I don't. He knows that temptation. He knows it. And Jesus made it through it, triumphant, triumphant. And because he suffered when he was tempted, the pastor Hebrews says, you can keep your eyes on him. He'll get you through. He knows how to do it. Jesus is practical. He doesn't have just, you know, theories about getting through life. Jesus is like, no, I did this. He's the perfect version of who you and I were meant to be. So if you want to know what it is to be human, you don't look at each other because we're just broken like everybody else. You look at him, he's perfect. Hebrews chapter 2, therefore, Hebrews 3, 1, therefore he says, fix your thoughts. Man, be thinking about Jesus. Spend an awful lot of time thinking about Jesus and how he made it through for you. And let his life be an example to your life. Let his life be an inspiration to your life. That's, that's the pastor of Hebrews. And then you come into Hebrews chapter 3, and we learned that last week. He says, so come on. You got to believe, man. And, and it's not just a, a one-time. It's not a decision you made one time at camp, you know, when you were 10. But, and, now, and now life gotten in the way and you're getting distracted but no it's 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 this Jesus is practical living every day Jesus I'm yours you are mine I believe in you we're going to get all the way through this to the finish line Jesus and you're so valuable I don't ever want to let you go we said that several weeks ago 
that part of the reason, part of the message of Hebrews is this. You're, you're less, if you know how valuable it is, you're less likely to give it away. We tend to throw away stuff that we discount. You know, it's a freebie, so it really doesn't matter. I'll get another one of those. But if what you have is priceless, oh man, I'm going to hang on to it. Never let it go. I was thinking about that, like my truck, you know, my truck is old. People love to make fun of my truck. But just imagine, just imagine, now this is a stretch, but just imagine that, some, that this week we discover there's something really special about my truck. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like there's only, there's only one that was ever made just like that one, right? There's only one. That's the only truck. Like, that's it. And, and so now this truck is worth a million dollars because it's a rare, special collector's item, like, right? Now, suddenly, I'm treating that truck differently, aren't I? You know, now that truck is parked in the garage, not outside. Now the truck, I'm going to wash it for once. I'm going to wash it, I'm going to scrub it, maybe wax it. It's going to be a nice truck. Isn't it something? And what changes? My perspective. Now I know how valuable it is. And now I treat it with care. And so the pastor of Hebrews is telling you and me, hey, Jesus is worth everything. He is infinitely valuable. You don't want to let him go. And when you're cooling down, don't let go. He's more valuable than the stuff he can do for you. Wow, Jesus. Yeah, that's right. You're more valuable than the stuff you can do for me. You're the prize. As great as my salvation is, but my salvation is really based on him. He's the prize. Isn't that something? So he's actually greater than even my salvation. <laughs> Wow, he's the prize. And I want him more than I want anything he can do for me. I want him, see? And so that's where we come to today. And this brings us to our memory verse. He challenges us this. I mean, this is all throughout the, the sermon in Hebrews. Let's read it together. Here we go, ready? So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. We've got to do this again. So do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Let's persevere. Let's run. Let's not throw away our confidence. Let's, I know, you know, sometimes we cool down, but don't throw it away. Cooling down is, is a part of the process. And the one thing I learned when things cool down is I learned Jesus is more valuable than the things that he can give to me. And so this morning, Dave's going to come. Come on, man. And he's going to bring us to Hebrews chapter 4. 
uh, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 as the peak or the pinnacle of this uh, particular passage of Scripture. But I want to begin and take us back to October 31st, 1517. If you're familiar with church history, there was a monk or a priest by the name of Martin Luther. And if you remember and you go back to that point in time in the history of the church, the universal church or the Catholic church, there was something very uh, disgusting and disturbing going on in the modern day church. And it was this, that if you sin, that you'd go to the church, you'd go to the priest, and he'd tell you, well, your sin will cost you $5. Or your sin will cost you $10. Oh my goodness, your skirt is too short. Your sin's going to cost you about $40. I'm being a little facetious here, but they were selling forgiveness. And Martin Luther, it struck his heart. And a man with conviction, knowing God's word, took on the entire Catholic church. And he went up to that small church in 15 or or 1517, and he nailed to the door what we call the 95 Theses. And that five minutes, that moment in history, radically changed the concept or the idea of what the church should be all about. And the church wasn't to be a place where people came in and they paid the high priest or they paid the price for forgiveness. The church was always meant to be a hospital for the hurting, that the doors would be wide open and that people would feel unashamed, they would feel welcome, they would feel loved, they would feel accepted on an unconditional basis and they could come in for the sole purpose of meeting the living Lord Jesus Christ. And in that encounter, it would make a radical change in the way that they thought and they spoke and they behaved and they lived their lives in their jobs in their respective communities. And in just a moment's notice, like a pebble dropping in the center of the ocean, the ripples continue on for over 500 years. Listen, you and I, conviction, Christ-centered conviction, the living word buried in our hearts and souls can have a ripple effect in the lives of people around us, in our church, in our community, and globally. Listen, we tend to think that if real changes can come to the world, and this is the real fallacy of today, uh, Pastor, is if we want change in the world, we got to vote for a certain politician. They're promising change. The world will tell you that if you want change, you have to get enough people circled uh, around you that have enough money that you can pony up and put the cash on the table and that you can buy and barter influence and bring about real change. That's what the world will tell you. We change through politics. We change through law. We change through money. Uh, Some people will tell you, dictators will tell you, if you want real change in the world, that you have to amass a powerful army and you have to forcefully go in and invade and capture these people to bring about real change. Get the point. The world has a message that if you want real change, you have to have power and influence and money and you have to amass that and you go out and to an army and you bring about change. And I want to tell you that when you look at uh, Martin Luther and what he did with the 95 Theses, that is real change. The world's got it wrong. Jesus, with 12 disciples, one being a, a traitor in the name of Judas, Jesus, with 11 solid followers, turned the world 
upside down. Real change came from a living God, the one true God, the Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. And real change came because Jesus stood up in heaven and he said, I'll go. And he took his divinity off and he strapped on humanity and he lived 33 years in this world so that he would understand exactly what you and I go through. And he died and he was crucified and he was buried and he laid in that tomb for three nights or three days all on his own and on the third day the trumpet blew and the angel showed up and the one true living God Jesus changed the world he was alive and active and he changed people's lives then and he has continued with a rippling effect to change people's lives for all of eternity that my friend is real change. So if you're scratching your head and you're looking at the news or you're listening to the podcast or you're surfing the internet and you're asking yourself, what in the world is going on around me? These people are crazy. These people don't know what the blankety blank is going on. These people have their head buried in the sand. They think with politicians and money and armies that they're going to make change. And I'm here to tell you that the Word of God, the Bible of God, brings down all of humanism. Because the world will tell you we've created a problem, and because we've created a problem, that given time and money and energy, we can solve our own problems. And the truth of the matter is, is we're making a mess of things. And what's going on in the world today, when you turn on the news and you watch what's going on, people, humanity is screwing this place up. We cannot hug enough trees to get this right. And that's if we want real change, we have to understand this is a living word. I like the quote of, and I'm just getting a little fired up or ramped up here, Pastor, but I like, and something that I've carried around in my Bible for years, uh, I don't know about you, but I got a couple of Bibles, and I nicknamed my Bibles, and this is uh, a gift that was given to me. This is uh, uh, made of calfskin. Uh, he's laughing. I've nicknamed my Bibles, and uh, it was a gift to me, and it's very special to me, and it was very expensive, and I've nicknamed it, and I only break it out on special occasions. I keep it in the original box that it came on, but if you go to my book shelf and you look at my books and you'll go down and you'll see that case and it says the sword because I only break it out once in a while and I'm here to tell you God's word is that living sword God's word brings about real and lasting change but the point is is in my bible I have a couple pieces here if you'll notice that I have them glued or tucked in because I, I like these gentle uh, reminders from time to time. And one of these reminders is, is, is right here. I was going through a very dark time personally when I first came to Jesus and I felt like this individual that was weeping and mourning and they have their head on, on the chest of Jesus and it has Psalm 13, uh, 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So I keep that. I've had that 24 uh, years in my Bible. I have another one here. Uh, I put this in in 2007. This is a prayer uh, not for bad people, but bad times. So I have a prayer here that I uh, uh, pray accordingly uh, when I, I'm going through some tough times. But my favorite is D.L. Moody. 
when I got saved, I just absolutely believed that he so moved in my life. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Who are you that you would ever give me a moment's notice? Who are you that you would ever be fixed and focused on me? Who am I that you would ever take note of me in the masses of humanity? What is it about me that God would pause for a brief second and a moment and say, David Lemoyne, call my name, bring me out of darkness, set me free, release me from the bondage, and set me on a right path with God's Spirit guiding me. Who am I? And what I really like about this is this is a picture of D.L. Moody, and I believe I had to slide up here. Because this is my prayers, and it's been a continued prayer for me for about 24 years, is this. And I'm going to be PC here for a moment, and I'm going to read it correctly. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. I'm here to tell you that you plus Jesus can be that woman, and you plus Jesus can be that man. If God's living work uh, takes root in your heart and soul, there is no telling what you are capable of doing in God's kingdom. There is no telling the influence, the sphere of influence that God can build in your life. There is absolutely no telling what you can accomplish if the living word of the living God gets a hold of your heart and soul and you listen and you trust and you obey and you walk by faith and you walk by sight. There's nothing, there's nothing in the entire world, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate you from the plan that Jesus died on a cross for you. There's absolutely no one or nothing that can snatch it. And my prayer my hope over the next two and a half hours this morning is <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> um, we'll talk about the Sabbath, Sunday, and we're supposed to. I'm going to be sinning big today after church. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rush out of here from church, and I'm going to go to Travelers and watch some golf. I don't know about you, so I'm not going to spend my day in my closet or my prayer room, but I'm going to head out to Travelers and take my uh, uh, boys there. But uh, nonetheless, let's talk about the power of God's Word. I want to talk about, I want to talk about three attributes of God's word this morning. And if we can get this, we're going to be forever changed. Jonathan's already looking at his watch. It's 10.03. He's counting down. I've got two minutes and 33 minutes left. So if we can just grip this, I'm going to kind of speed through this, all right? Because I'm going to try to be, uh, uh, I'm going to try to respect the time, not because I'm rushing out to the golf outing, but uh, we got some kids and some adults that need to get back together and go to brunch, Matt. So God's word is living. If you don't get this 
You're not going to get anything else. God's word is living. It's not a religious encyclopedia. It's not a Bible trivial pursuit game. It's not something that we pick up and we just learn the facts of Moses, the facts of Abraham, the facts of Jesus, the facts of Luke, the facts of Paul, the facts and so and so. It's not an encyclopedia or a game of trivial Bible pursuit. When we approach the word and we lift up God's word in our hand on a daily basis we are not gathering facts about us true story i used to hang out well i still do i like hanging out with people that are two three four years older than me uh that puts bud in the same category he's about five years out from me but i like hanging out with older people and you know if you're a young kid Pastor, if you're in sixth grade and you have your bike and your dad lets you go off with your bike and you're hanging out with people that are three, four, five years older than you, uh, that's a whole new world, right, Curtis? It'd be like hanging out with Curtis. He's just going to open up a whole new world for you. And on this particular moment, we were riding our bikes out into the woods and we stopped. And uh, one of the kids, one of my friends, had lifted a pack of his father's cigarettes. And uh, so we were out in the woods, uh, you know, big, tough, cool guy. I didn't have a cool belt buckle at the time, but I was sitting there and I was hanging out with cool kids. Cool kids smoked. I'm in sixth grade. These guys are in ninth and tenth grade. And boy, we smoked every cigarette in the pack. I would not back down on a dare. I was green in the gills. I was dry heaving. I had swallowed a little too much tobacco. I got that but all wet, and I, 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 I imbibed it, and it was sitting on down there, and I got on my bike, and it was like, all the way home, all the way home. I get home, my dad notices immediately. Why? Because my dad used to be a smoker at the time, and he knew exactly what went on. And you know how my dad punished me? Any, any guesses here? Huh? No, not a whole carton. Light up? No, he did You know what he did? He was one. I think there's 12 people that have done this, and my dad is one of them. He bought the entire set of Britannica encyclopedias. I think there's 12 of them. My dad is definitely one. As a matter of fact, I think he actually bought two sets about five, six years apart because they updated. And my dad sat me down with that encyclopedia for hours, and he said, son, I want you to learn about the bad effects that smoking will have on your health. I spent hours in my bedroom. I'm sixth grade trying to decipher the encyclopedia. You can only imagine how exciting that was. It just gripped me to the core. Page after page after page, jotting the notes down. It was extremely interesting. It gripped me. And I was reading and reading and reading this encyclopedia. And you know what? It was just facts. Facts I didn't understand, facts that really didn't touch me, facts that wouldn't change the way that I think and change my behavior. And you know what? You fast forward in my early 20s, guess what I did? I smoked. So being exposed to several hours of the encyclopedia had no change on me 20 years later. And the point I'm trying to make is if you approach God's word as an encyclopedia, if this is just a book, if this is just a source or, or, or a resource, you're going to miss it. This book is living. This book has life. This book has a heart. It has a pulse. 
that is stronger than your pulse when the nurse takes your blood pressure. This Bible is alive and it has a pulse. It has a heartbeat. It's alive and it rushes through our soul and it rushes through our mind and it rushes through our feelings and it rushes through the deepest recesses of our heart and soul. It has life and it brings life and it changes our life. And if you miss that, you're missing the whole purpose of spending time just a little bit of time starting out spending quality time just reading the Bible and praying through it and saying, God, what? What do you want me to hear? What do you want to change in my life? What do you want to do through me? What implications does this have on my relationship with my spouse or my finances? What implications does this have in terms of my relationship with my children? What implication does this have in relationship to my two dogs? It's living. It's alive. In sixth grade, uh, I was the uh, winner of a uh, Martin Luther King Jr. contest. Uh, I was one of these guys. I'd go to, I grew up in the military. It was very hot in Arizona. So you either found me at the library or the pool or the rec center. So I would go up to the library and I would read autobiography after autobiography. I love to read about people. I don't know why. I've read about Jesse Owens. I've read about John Adams. I've read about Abraham Lincoln. One of my favorite, and I like to read about people that have transformed society. And I believe that one of the, 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 the persons that made a major impact that had that ripple effect living a short life was Martin Luther King Jr. I love uh, uh, who he was and what he represented. I've read a ton of books about Martin Luther King Jr. I have listened to a ton of sermons. I have read a tons of sermons. I've read a lot of history books on Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, on multiple occasions, I living in Alabama in a hotbed of of of, uh, of where it all began or 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 continued on, we would uh, my wife and I before we had children. I believe even after we had children, would take the trek to Atlanta and we'd go to his church and we'd go to his burial site and the National Museum. So we could talk about Martin Luther King Jr. for the next two and a half hours, but what I'm not. The point is this. I know a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. I know a lot of facts about him, but the truth is I've never met him, and I never will here in this world. To me, he's just a historical figure, but listen, every time you carve out five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it is for you and Jesus. Every time you pick that up, you are meeting Jesus. You are meeting the creator. You are meeting the alpha and the omega. You are meeting Jesus. He is alive and he is alive. Forgot the word. Active, thank you. Preach back to me anytime. Uh, alive and active. Listen, God fully manifests himself through Jesus, through his word. I'm concerned about today's spirituality, Pastor. I'm really concerned about what I hear Christians and non Christians say alike. 
I'm concerned about the modern, and it's nothing new. It's evolved. We've had this conversation, Marvin, our uh, uh, men's group with Curtis and Jim and, and Mike and uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Ph.D. Walker back there, uh, 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 TJ and Matt and uh, Mike, great group of guys. I'm just going to pitch this to you. If you're not involved in a men's group, and you're looking to spend uh, some time with some guys that understand that the Bible is alive. This is the group to come to on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, if you're not, listen, I'm not trying to poach anybody here, but if you're not in a men's group, uh, Marv is like that spiritual father, asks a couple questions, sits back, and lets it roll. It's a great group. But the point of the matter is that you're going to meet Jesus there. And I lost my track here, but I'm talking about today's spirituality, Pastor. And today's spirituality is this. And you hear Christians and non-Christians hear this, especially younger Christians that grow up in the church and they feel that they've been indoctrinated. You know, the world, you know, when you go to the college campus today, the world's so much smarter than your parents. Uh, the world's so much smarter than your pastor. The, wor- the world, the professor up there is so much smarter than your elders. I mean, the, the, these guys got their head in the sand. They're narrow-minded. Uh, they just believe a lot of nonsense. And so when you get out into the world, the world is sitting there ready to hug you and whisper in your ear. And these people start parroting. I'm talking about church kids. They start parroting stuff like, oh, you can't really believe the Bible, pastor. You can't possibly. It's filled with errors. We can't possibly think that this is right or true. It's so archaic, pastor. It was written hundreds, if not thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The message in the Bible no longer applies to today. Today's spirituality is this is, listen, you can't really trust the authority of scripture. It's got some errors in it. And then you hear Christians that come up or young people come up and they graduate. And, and I'm talking about, listen, I am not pointing the finger here. This is me. You just happen to be able to listen in on my conversation and the way that I thought and the way that I felt when I came out of the church. And when I left the church, I felt that God was uh, uh, too strict. I felt that God was going to constrain me. I thought, oh boy, I, I, I'm, I'm moving out from under my mom and dad's authority and the whole world awaits me. And it looked like, it looked like uh, Six Flags and Disney world in Epcot Center and the local county fair all wrapped in one. It looked exciting. The bright lights, the arrows pointing to the way, the music. You could hear the rides. You could hear the people. You could hear the laughter. And it's begging us, wooing us and calling us to go to the bright lights in the big city. And they're going to tell you the Bible doesn't matter. It's old. It's outdated. What they're going to tell you is, listen, you don't have to live your life on God's terms. In fact, your walk with God, little g, is based on your personal experience. You don't need absolute truth. You don't have to have a yardstick in your life. You had the you had the uh, uh, the smarts. You had the ability to build your own religion. I call it cafeteria Christianity. I like cafeterias. I like the meat, two vegetables, cornbread or roll, and a dessert and some sweet tea. I like that concept, and that is in my heart and my soul. There's a fallen part about David the Lemoyne that when he sits with that word in front of him, wants to pick and choose 
choose what I want to accept and imbibe and apply to my life. And there's things in that world that cut me like a knife and it's painful and I get upset and I get angry and I get rebellious and I'll flat out walk away from it and I'll have my pity party and I'll pout and I'll blame God. And eventually when I, like the prodigal son, came to his senses, realizes that he cut me out of love because even though the pain of the cut hurts, the healing is so much better. And it feels so great that I don't even realize that he cut me. I focus on the cut and it hurts. And I cry. And I ask why? But that grace and that mercy moves in and brings about the healing and I forget about the cut I got the scar and it's no longer bringing up thoughts of pain and anger and bitterness and resentment I look at the cut and I go he loved me he cared for me he wants me to have a deeper, closer walk, a relationship with me. He realized that religion was hurting me, and he cut me. Have you been cut? That stinging, that, that stinging, sharp, cold, calculated scalpel of the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, it hurts. It's painful, and it's humbling. Listen. God's word is alive and we can't find our way to God and we can't live out this thing called Christianity if we're going to go based on experience. If we're going to live this thing out, pastor, we're going to live it out based on God's living word taking root in the recesses of our heart and soul, growing up, maturing, and bearing fruit for ourselves and for other people. Another attribute of God's word is that it is simply powerful. And if you break this down, what he says, and I'm going to read this passage here in verse 12, what he says goes, his powerful word, it's active. In this word power, uh, we derive our, our, our word energy from it. When we think about electrical energy, we think about gas-powered energy, we think about nuclear energy, we need to understand that not only is God's word living, but God's word is power. There's force. It's dominant. It's potent. It's influential. It's energetic. Listen to the things that God's word does. It's busy working. It's changing. It's building. It's convicting. It's encouraging. It's exposing. It's rebuking. It's giving light. It's giving wisdom, and it's carving out a path for you and I in this world. Listen, God's word is powerful. There's energy behind the spoken word of God. Think about it from this perspective. In Genesis 1, God spoke. I believe in the Big Bang Theory, not what they teach in school. When I get to heaven, one of the first things I want to do is I want to go to that, that uh, auditorium, you know, that 360, what do you call those things? Huh? What is it called? planetarium. I want to go to the planetarium. I want to sit right in the middle of that room and I want Jesus to walk up and hit that pick up that remote control and play creation. He spoke. Boom. 
everything. Nothing, hollow, darkness, separation, no form, no substance. We think inventors are uh, uh, bright and brilliant, but let's be honest. Inventors are just taking materials that already exist and putting something together. God, there was no substance. There was absolutely nothing. I don't even think there was oxygen or hydrogen in the air. There was absolutely nothing. It says it was empty and formless, and darkness hovered over the deep, and God, boom, spoke. And something happened. I think, about, <clears throat> I think about Jesus. He was asleep in a boat and his disciples were struggling at the oars. And they were almost about to sink. Listen, these weren't, uh, uh, these weren't uh, uh, businessmen uh, in the boat with Jesus. These weren't, uh, uh, you name it, they were, they, 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 these guys were these guys were salty sailors. These were guys made a living by fishing. They had been in a storm a time or two. These were salty sailors. They didn't push their boat out and get in the knee-deep water and cast a net. They were out there in the Sea of Galilee. It was roaring. It was whipping. The boat was tossing and turning. There were times that these salty sailors feared for their lives. And this is one particular moment where these salty sailors were struggling, and they were wondering if they would survive the current storm in their life. And what happened? Somebody preach it back to me. What did he do? No, he didn't calm the water, Curtis. He spoke, Curtis. He spoke. Brother, you got to get on the same page. You got to use the same language. Huh? Stand up and tell me what he said, Curtis. He spoke. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture this is the other one. Right after creation, I want to see Lazarus. I have a friend that, uh, much older than me. <clears throat> he came out of Canada. He spoke French. He was a missionary in Haiti for uh, well over 30 years. He retired from the mission field, and I had the opportunity to meet him just weeks within getting saved. And this guy had a different view on life. He had served in Haiti for 25 years. If you, uh, if you ever uh, looked up uh, uh, this individual, they brought water to an entire community. This guy is like a rock star in Haiti. And he was telling me a story about in Haiti, you know, they, they uh, uh, have a, quite a bit of witchcraft in, in the Caribbean. And he was telling me about a drug that they would uh, infuse in somebody who was in on the game, in on the fix, and they would infuse them with this drug, and then they'd run out and cry, and they'd go out into the community, and they'd cry and weep and mourn, my child's dead, my child's dead, my child, and everybody would come in, and they'd mourn, and they'd weep over the death of their child, and they'd even go through the process of having a memorial, or spending some time uh, praying over the family, and meeting with the family, and expressing their condolences, and they'd actually, actually get to the point where they'd put the, the person in the coffin and he'd wheel it out to the gravesite, and they'd be out there mourning and weeping and the, and the sadness was over the whole community and then you'd hear somebody whisper or you heard somebody knock the side of the casket with their elbow or knock or if it was a child they'd cry and the drug would wear off 
And they'd open up the casket and they'd have a great celebration, but they weren't praising Jesus. They were praising witchcraft. They were praising what was going on down there with drugs and Santeria and things like that and voodoo dolls. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what Jesus did with Lazarus. Jesus waited 33 days so that when he finally got there, that about 20 feet out, you could still smell Lazarus. And, it, and, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't Old Spice. When they walked up on Lazarus after three days, he stunk. Rigor mortis was there. And Jesus, after three long days, let that family weep, let that community experience that loss. And he walked up to Lazarus' tomb, and somebody help me here, spoke. And nothing happened. Correct me if I'm wrong. What happened when Jesus spoke in the doorway of Lazarus' tomb? There's power in the spoken word. I think we've lost that. I think today's church has lost the fact that Jesus speaking had power. And I think we've lost the fact that Jesus speaking through us, there's power. There's power to change my relationship with my wife. There's power to change relationships with my children. There's power to change relationships with my friend. There's, there's, there's power to change relationships in a poor or challenging, hostile work environment. There's power to change my finances. There's, there's, there, <clears throat> there's power to change the health of an individual stretched out in ICU on a respirator for 59 days. There is power in the spoken word that when Jesus speaks, something happens. I'm going to date myself. One of the most powerful commercials of the day was, uh, 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 what's it, when, 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 when uh, uh, is it E.F. Hutton or who was it? E.F. Hutton. Thank you. I got some more. Uh, see, I got some seasoned people in the room here that understand where I'm going with this. But E.F. Hutton, powerful commercial because it was talking about giving good, sound financial advice that could change your retirement. And the commercial was, is if E.F. Hutton speaks, it was quiet, and they dropped a pin, and it hit the floor, and it rattled around the pin floor, making a noise. People listen. What would we look like here at New River if Jesus spoke and we listened? Take the most challenging arena in your life. Take the most challenging relationship in your life. Take the, most, uh, uh, the, the, the highest obstacle, the highest hurdle that you have in your life. And I want you to begin imagining if Jesus spoke, what would happen? I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be business as usual. It's not going to be the same old, same old. It's going to be radically different. Because, listen, as important as E.F. Hudson's message was, how much more important is Jesus message. He spoke. 
Things happen. Listen, uh, the, uh, the writer in, in 2 Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3 said, Everything that goes into a life pleasing to God has been miraculously given to us by getting us to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best ever to invitation ever. The best miracle ever. The best thing ever in any human being's life is the fact that God's word is powerful and God speaks to us. There's no decision that you're facing. There's no problem that you'll ever encounter. There's no trial that you'll ever endure where God in the person of Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit is not present to help. Anything and everything going on in your life and my life, the first instinct, the first thought, the first quick step should be to God. It should be to his word. It should be spending time with the living word, the living Jesus, and letting his power grow to fruition in your life and in my life. Yet we turn to all these self-help gurus. I was guilty of this. There was a time when I was away from uh, the church, and uh, 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 the guy, he's like 6'6". Uh, body looks like a chiseled granite. Uh, he had white teeth before it was even uh, popular. <laughs> I mean, he had a, if he smiled, he pushed the walls out about six feet. It was so bright. It was so big. Uh, this guy, uh, and, and continues to speak, has made billions of dollars with the promise that he's going to listen carefully because you might want to go down to the self-help section and get this book when you hear this. He wants to awaken the giant within you. I know, you're astounded, aren't you? That just blows you away. He's got, now he's got a new part in his hair because it just blew him. The whole idea of somebody... <clears throat> Here's the caveat. Okay? I know from experience it's going to cost you about $275 just to get a glimpse of that giant within you. After that, you're going to have to continue on a payment plan for several months, maybe years, if we're a slow learner, to even scratch the surface of waking the giant. And then, and then he came out with another book. I like this guy. I like charismatic people, whether they're right or wrong. I find them interesting. Uh, the next book that he came out, or the seminar that he toured the world with, is this, Your Date with Destiny. Who wouldn't be interested in that? I don't feel like there's a giant in David Lemoyne. I feel kind of small. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a, a big pillar. I, I feel there, there's not a giant within me. And yeah, there's a sense of destiny, but can I really achieve anything of worth or value? Can I be like D.L. Moody or, or, or Martin Luther King or, or Martin Luther with the 90? I don't know. But the point of the matter is this, is we turn to these health, self-help gurus and we're looking for the giant and we're looking for the destiny and we know the mass are in God's word, and they're in droves flocking to the health self-help sections of Books a Million, and you name it, and now we're ordering online through Amazon, and those boxes are coming, and we're just, we're so hungry. The world is so hungry. The world's so lost. The world's so helpless. The world is so dark. People are, are, are depressed. They're discouraged, and they're looking for an ounce of hope and they'll go to anything and anyone and we have the ability and we have the opportunity to say push all that aside 
Do you realize that you can go down to a Christian bookstore and for $5.99, you can buy that book that will change your life. It'll cost you $5 off the shelf, and in return, it'll give you more money than all the kings and queens and the states and the entire history of humanity. The wealth, you will find more wealth in Scripture than you could if you amass the riches of the world. And the masses are looking for this. They're longing for this. But we have to live this. They have to see the power of God working in our lives, rich. And then they're going to say, hey, there's something different about you. You're not talking like the rest of them. You're not going out doing the same thing. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about transformation. You're not doing the same things you used to do. There is something radically different about you. What's going on? God. God spoke. Wrapping it up here. And our pastor is going to come up and share as well. But I just want to read this passage. I'm going to cut it short right here. I'm going to get right to the, the point. The writer of Hebrews says, <clears throat> laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from, listen, nothing's hidden. We can't get away from it no matter what. This was a very familiar word to the hearers of this sermon. And they immediately began thinking of that short sword, that gladius sword that every Roman legion carried. It was a short sword. It's not that beautiful, long sword with the jewels that, you remember, uh, 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 Wallace and Braveheart? We're not talking about that long, beautiful sword. We're talking about the short, quick sharp sword that every Roman legion carried, and it was for close combat. It was, you're going to get in close, as close as you can, and this is just close combat. And they'd have one or two, and they would go to masses fell. They were bloodied. They died. They had multiple stab wounds on their forearms and their legs and in their stomach, and they laid there, and they wailed, and they bled out. And that's the picture that uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you pick up God's word, you are in close combat. You are in close combat, and you don't have a shield, and you don't have protection. Uh, this, sword, this short sword, it's so strong and so powerful and so sharp, it'll cut through the chain mail. There's nothing that will stop this. This sword is so powerful, it's not a matter of if it cuts you. It's a matter of how it's going to cut you. It's going to cut you long. It's going to cut you deep. And it's going to cut you continuously. You are in a knife fight with the Holy Spirit when you open this up. And he begins bringing conviction into our life. And the writer of Hebrews wanted us to understand that you are in close combat when you come up and you hold God's word. And here's the reason why. Because the hardest substance in the entire world is not granite. And it's not diamonds. It's the human heart. We all have instances where we've tried to minister and talk to people and we realize that is a hard, hard hard heart, hopeless heart. We can look at our own lives and we can realize, boy, I have a hard heart. That's why Ezekiel says, I'm going to take that heart of stone. 
I'm going to do some surgery. I'm going to carve this thing out. I'm going to rip it out. And I'm going to put within you a heart of flesh that beats, that moves, that feels, that senses, that responds. Listen, God's word is living. God's word is powerful. And God's word is responsive. It's going to cut you. But he's going to heal you. And the short, brief pain and suffering that you experience from the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit entering your soul or your mind and your heart is absolutely minimal to the rush of adrenaline, the rush of healing, the rush of wholeness, the rush of recreating and reviving the human soul so that we're absolutely different than we were when we actually took the time to open up God's Word and spend a little bit of time in God's Word. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.